I don't know when it started. If you ask my mom, who's here, by the way? Yay! I'm guessing she will tell you an embarrassing story about a time that she says happened when I was a child. For years, many years, she has spoken of a day that she found me in the middle of our living room in our house in Kendall, muttering, Fogs have no teeth, Fogs have no teeth, Fogs have no teeth, because there was a small frog on the living room carpet. Now, I have no independent recollection of this traumatic event. It took place before video phones, so there's no proof of it. As a result, I cannot confirm nor deny whether it happened ever, but the thing I can tell you is this, I hate frogs. And I really, really, I'm going to throw another really in there, really hate frogs, ugly, lumpy, terrifying cousin, the toad. I have to tell you that just looking at this picture while preparing earlier this week for today, even looking at it right now, makes my skin crawl. I need a happier image, so indulge me for a moment. There we go. Okay. Okay. Why did I tell you that story? Well, it started with something that the American writer and humorist Mark Twain once said, Twain said, if it's your job to eat a frog, it's best to do it in the morning, first thing in the morning. And if it's your job to eat two frogs, it's best to eat the biggest one first. Are you wondering what does frog eating have to do with us? Why don't we pray and then we'll find out. Father God, thank you for gathering us together on this beautiful morning. Thank you for Allowing us the freedom to meet and to worship and to celebrate you. We thank you for this opportunity to study the Bible, to learn God's word, to understand how it applies to us in our lives. So God, as we continue on this morning, we would ask that you would open our hearts and minds to your guidance. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. First off, officially, welcome everybody who is here on site. Also, to all of you who are watching online, thank you for coming to Hammock Street Church. We know that you have a lot of choices when you fly, and we appreciate your choosing us this morning. And also, welcome to the next installment of our current series, Win the Day. If you want to change your life, you have to change your story. And what we've been talking about is how, if we want to live abundantly and live lives that fulfill God's calling then God's Word, the Bible, needs to inform our lives. We need to know what the Bible says so that it can apply to our lives. Now, we began this series by talking about how if we want to win the day, we need to flip the script. By the way, if you missed a message or you want to hear it again, just go to our YouTube channel, just type Hammock Street Church into YouTube, you'll find it, or our Facebook page, or our website, which is hammockstreetchurch.com. So, when we talked about flipping the script, we learned that we can change our lives by changing our stories. If we can see our challenges in life, which we all have, if we can see them as opportunities that are presented to us, then we'll be able to harness God's power and we'll be able to 
use it in our lives and experience God's abundance and also bring God glory. Well, then last week, we saw how we can win the day when we learn to kiss the wave. Remember, we talked about the exodus and and the first person who had to have walked in and taken that brave step based on Moses' promise. And so we learned that when we take a step in faith, we can go from victim to victor. Well, today we're going to see that we can begin to win the day when we learn to eat the frog. Now, let's all start on the same page. I think we can all agree that frogs are gross. Can we all agree? If you don't agree with that, I mean, come talk to me afterwards, something's up. I mean, frogs are no fun to look at. They're certainly no fun to listen to. We have a canal behind our house, and they just never shut up. And they're absolutely no fun to touch. So why on earth are we talking about eating one? Well, the illustration makes an important point about life on earth. You see, for each one of us, there are things that we just don't want to do. And there are things that we just don't want to face. And there are things that we just want no part of. But notwithstanding, a lot of those things we need to do. And we need to face and we need to address. Whether we like it or not, you can't ignore all the things. Whether it's taking care of matters concerning our health or our wealth or our education or training or our jobs or our happiness or any number of other difficult yet important tasks in our lives in order to live lives of abundance, in order to live the kind of life that Jesus came to ensure that his people could live. Remember what Jesus said. He said in John 10.10, the thief, that's the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life, they as us, and have it abundantly. So in order to live that kind of life, we're going to need to figure out a way to get these things we don't want to do done. Even though the mere thought of tackling them seems overwhelming, if not impossible. Does that sound daunting? It does, it does. At first blush, it absolutely sounds daunting. But daunting is not the same as impossible. And God has given us ample guidance in the word, to follow in order to help us on our way to being able to accomplish the difficult tasks, to do the hard things, to learn to eat the frogs in our life. But it's going to take some work. It takes some work on our part. Have I scared you yet? Don't be scared. Because it's really just a matter of getting ourselves moving in the right direction. So to that end, we're going to start off talking about the principle of mathematical induction. Now, that'll scare you. Don't be scared. Simply put, mathematical induction is a simple way of proving a principle of physics. It has only two steps. Here they are. Number one, show that the thing is true for the first experiment. Number two, repeat the first experiment. And if the thing is also true for the second experiment, then all the subsequent experiments will be true as well. So here's the easiest and most understandable application of this principle of mathematical induction. You all have heard of the domino effect, right? Take two dominoes, stand them up in a line, push the first one down into the second one. What happens? second one falls down too, right? Well, through this mathematical induction, it's been proven that a domino is capable of knocking over another domino that's one and a half times its size. 
So a two-inch domino can topple a three-inch domino. A three-inch domino can topple a four-and-a-half-inch domino, and so on and so forth. So if you keep doing that, going up a size every time, you're going to get to the 21st domino. And the 21st domino would be big enough to knock down the Washington Monument. All right? Keep going, you can knock down anything. All right, now let's make it more practical. According to the principle of mathematical induction, it also works with climbing a ladder. You can climb as high as you like on a ladder, starting with the bottom rung, and then taking a step to the next rung. Doesn't that make sense? You can go as high as the ladder goes, one rung at a time. This principle is so sound that God recognized its power, and by the way, put a stop to it when it was proving harmful to his children. Remember back in Genesis, when the people were conspiring to build a tower to climb up to God? Remember what the tower was called? The Tower of Babel? God shut the people down. How did he do it? Remember, he mixed up their languages. He gave them all different languages. So they couldn't communicate with each other. He shut them down because he knew that they would be arrogant enough to try to get up there and reach him. And here's what he said. It's in Genesis 11:6. 6. Nothing that they, that's the people trying to climb this tower, nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And though God put a stop to their plan, in so doing, he gave us a clue as to how we can, in a more positive sense, use that principle to draw ourselves closer to God and accomplish the difficult things in life. And that principle is this, anyone, almost anyone, can accomplish Almost anything, if they work at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. The almost are in there because for the obvious reasons. You know, I would always wanted to play fullback for the Miami Dolphins. That would have been impossible. I just, just don't have that skill set. But as a result, the key for us is to develop in our lives domino habits. Little high leverage habits. Habits that we can stack one upon the other over time. Because when we learn to do the little things like they're big things, God will do the big things like they're little things. That's habit number three. That's what it means to eat the frog. Why? Because if you can start your day by eating the frog, by taking on first the most challenging thing on your to-do list, you can go through the rest of the day knowing that the hardest task is behind you. That's the old rip the band-aid off kind of thing. But learning to eat the frog is not going to happen on its own. It's going to take an intentional effort on your part. It's going to take your replacing some of your old habits with new habits. You see, whether we like it or not, we human beings are creatures of habit. According to a study done by Duke University, 45% of our daily behavior is automatic or habitual. You ever get in the car and you just start driving and you end up somewhere that, I mean, you wanted to end up there, but you didn't even think about it? You probably do it at work or you do it going to Starbucks or you do it going to Target. I mean, that's a thing, right? You get in the car and the next thing you know, oh, look, I'm at Target. That'll be $100. <laughs> How is that? How do they know? Habits are the things we put on repeat. Without the ability to develop habits, imagine how annoying that would be. Every day, we'd have to relearn everything we want to do for the day. Habits save us a tremendous amount of time, a tremendous amount of energy, but the savings come at a cost. 
Because when something becomes second nature, we don't give it a second thought. You've heard the expression, practice makes perfect. That's not true. Perfect practice makes perfect. Practice makes permanent. You keep doing something over and over again, you're going to keep doing it over and over again. You're not even going to think about it. Now, that's not a bad thing unless, of course, you're practicing poorly. You're practicing a bad habit. If you're simply repeating a bad habit, you're not helping yourself at all. You're harming yourself. And that's why we need to deconstruct and reconstruct our daily habits. Unless you think that the talk of changing your habits is some sort of simplistic self-help advice, you need to know that habitualization or ritualization, in other words, forming habits and forming rituals in your life, isn't just a good thing, it is a God thing. Developing habits and practices that reflect the unique way God has made you and has made me is a stewardship issue. It's a way of taking the time and talent and treasure that God has given us and cultivating good habits out of it. But not only good habits, let's call them God habits. It's something that we need to do. So in order to get started, let's understand the two practices necessary. Here they are, habit switching and habit stacking. So let's talk about habit switching first. Our goal here is to replace our bad habits with godly habits. And of course, before we can replace our bad habits with godly ones, we need to recognize what the bad habits are. We need to recognize what the bad habits are that need replacing. It sounds simple, but it's really difficult to achieve. You see, all of us have bad habits. Will you all agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I do. The problem is that very few of us are actually aware of what those bad habits are or how bad they really are for us. So here's an example. If you've ever tried to diet but were unsuccessful, you've already tried what I'm about to talk about. One day, about 18 months ago, a year and a half ago, my younger brother saw a picture of himself that someone at work had taken. That's my brother, Paul. Up until that moment, he hadn't realized how much weight he'd put on over the years. He's a middle-aged guy, wife and two kids. He's been with the same company for 30 years. He's just been doing his habit, doing his thing, going to work, doing his, doing his job. So he decided that he needed to do something about it. Now, earlier on, he'd heard about this thing called intermittent fasting. You've heard of that? It's just a practice of limiting the way you eat, limiting your eating to an eight-hour window during the day. So you only eat from 12 to 8, you know, noon to 8, or something like that. And because it's an easy solution, my brother thought, hey, I'll just do that. And he did. And he lost about 10 pounds. But that was it. See, he didn't change his eating habits. He just crammed them into an 8-hour window. So everything he ate during the day, he was just eating now from noon to 8 o'clock at night. So then he took some more time and examined himself and his habits, and his practices, and the things he used to think about himself, his preconceived notions. And he discovered that, well, yes, he'd been eating too late into the evening. The bigger problem was that he was, wait for it here, eating too much. Shocking, right? Upon further investigation, he'd also realized that not only was he eating too much, but he was eating too much of the wrong foods. And he wasn't moving around. He was kind of, he's a sedentary guy. He's an accountant. He just sort of sits around. So he decided to switch his habits. He set a caloric goal, you know, how many calories he would eat during the day. That would be healthy for a person of his age and height and so on. Then he downloaded an app that allowed him to track 
the food that he ate, and then one meal at a time, he began tracking his food. And he changed his morning routine. Now, he lives in Northern California, and where he lives, it's kind of nice weather-wise year-round. And he has a great hiking trail that has a mountain to it, some elevation to it. So he started walking at 5 o'clock in the morning every morning. 5 o'clock. When he calls me at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm barely awake, he's at 5 o'clock in the morning. So he planned the work they needed to do to achieve his fitness goal, his weight loss goal, and then he worked a plan, bite by bite, meal by meal, mile by mile, day by day, just one step at a time. And by applying these new little habits consistently over time, he reached his goal of getting back to the weight that he wanted to be at. This is my brother today, he sent me the picture actually yesterday, okay? Very simple formula, eat less, move around. But instead of doing the easy things that he had been doing to arrive at the place that he found himself, if you keep on doing what you've always done, you'll keep on getting what you've always gotten, he disciplined himself to do something he didn't want to do, to eat the frogs. Well, how does that apply to our faith journey? Well, don't miss this. Just as my brother didn't simply get rid of his bad habits, but rather he replaced his bad habits with good habits, when it comes to our faith journey, we need to do the same thing. How do I know that? How can I make a statement like that from a pulpit in church? Because Jesus told me. Look at the principle at play here in Matthew 12. This is Matthew 12. It's a few verses, 43 to 45. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through the waterless places looking for rest, the ancients believe that the evil spirits lived in deserts so it roams through the waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any and then the unclean spirit says I'm going to go back to the house that I came from it returns finds the house vacant swept and put in order okay then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and settle down there and as a result that person's last condition is worse than the first so this is, a, this is actually a tough passage to, to interpret, to exegete, but here's the gist of it. It isn't enough to vanquish evil from our lives and send it far away to live in the barren desert. The believer not only needs to vanquish evil, but then needs to replace the evil in our lives with the goodness of God. Otherwise, the evil's going to come back and fill everything to overflowing in the place where it once lived. Remember what we said last week, if we want to see God do the super, we need to do the natural. Well, we can make space in our lives by clearing out our bad natural habits and replacing them with good godly habits. And then God will come in and supernaturally fill the space we've created. So, so here's an example of how that works in the real world. I, I have a friend who has struggled his whole adult life with addiction. But a few years ago, he was able to quit. He quit cold turkey, as they say, just stopped. But he failed to replace his drug habit with anything better, with anything of God. And before too long, the drug habit returned on steroids, filled the space where his life had been, only worse. He had a horrific public relapse. He nearly died. It was really ugly. But after that, he succeeded in getting off the drugs again. But having read these verses, he found a godly habit 
to fill the space where the drug habit had been. Whenever he felt an urge to use, he grabbed his Bible and he grabbed a pen and he read a chapter and he took detailed notes as he went along. This guy's an addict for his whole adult life, so he was doing a lot of Bible reading. You want to know something? It's now been three years. He's clean. And he knows God's Word a lot better than he used to. He's developed a healthy Bible addiction. That's habit switching. And that's something we can do. You don't break a bad habit by simply not doing it. That might work for a while. That's what my brother tried to do in the first shot at his diet. But just stopping things is not a long-term solution. Spiritually speaking, you don't just stop sinning by not sinning. That's like someone saying, okay, don't think about a purple elephant. What image just popped into your head and I know I helped it along? Yeah, a purple elephant. You can't not think about it when I say it. Psychologists call that a double bind. If I say to someone, be spontaneous, all of a sudden you can't be spontaneous. It's a no-win situation. And the same thing goes for every temptation we face. Now, I wish eating the frog was as simple as saying, just do it. But it's not. You can't eat the frog until you have a vision that's bigger and better than your temptation. And the best way to break out of a bad habit is by building a good habit. And the best way to break a bad natural habit is to replace it with a good godly habit. Now, I know it's easier said than done. It takes time. It takes work. But if you want to live the abundant life that God has created for you, you have to reinvest your time, talent, and treasure into a good godly habit. In the 1970s, a guy by the name of William Glasser wrote a book called Positive Addiction. And in the book, he said this, addiction is not all bad. Sure, negative addictions destroy our lives, one drink, one click, one bite, one hit at a time. But positive addictions have the opposite effect. And in a sense, we're all addicts. So the question is, are our addictions positive or are they negative? Are they healthy or are they unhealthy? Are they holy or are they unholy? For instance, let me just, this is just one. Do you think we could all afford to complain a little less? Not singling out anybody. I complain more than you do, I promise. But we can't just stop complaining. I'm going to stop complaining. We have to switch the habit. And it's just one example, and there are tons. But if you want to flip that script, you could actually keep a gratitude journal. Get a little book, get a pen, do it on an app, on your phone, on your iPad. A gratitude journal can turn a person who complains about everything, into a person who is grateful for everything. Instead of looking for things to whine about, what if we started looking for things to be thankful about? Try that, and before long. Instead of being a complainer, you'll become a convinced praiser. I was going for like an alliteration or rhyme thing there, and I kind of blew it, but you get it, right? Instead of being a complainer, you're a convinced praiser for anything and everything in your life. All right, you understand? Okay. Now we're moving on to the second issue that we talked about, which is habit stacking. Habit stacking is the practice of coupling our habits with daily rhythms and rituals. It's coupling difficult habits with habits that come easily. It's setting a daily alarm. That's easy, right? You take out your phone, you set the alarm, it's done. Okay, 
If you set it and leave it there for the whole week, you don't have to touch it again. It's very easy. What's the alarm do, though? It wakes you up. That's the hard part. That's the difficult part. That's called stacking a habit. My brother stacked his habit of waking up early in the morning with going out on his walks, and he returns the calls that he needs to return back to the, west, or to the East Coast. For me, one of my stacked habits is I read my devotional every morning when I pour my first cup of coffee. There are a few in the morning. But coffee acts like the trigger, like the alarm, telling me there's something I need to be doing. When I take the first sip, my, I automatically open my devotional, and I read. I've stacked those two habits. The term habit stacking was actually coined by an author by the name of S.J. Scott in 2017. His book was called, by the way, Habit Stacking, 127 Small Changes to Improve Your Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Okay? You don't have to read the book. I just told you everything it's about. Sorry, Mr. Scott. But according to Scott, the process of habit stacking involves grouping small activities together into a, into a chain or a mini routine. And then you kind of treat the chain like a mental checklist. So rather than having to do all the individual activities, you just need to remember to start the routine. Once you start the routine, then the habits take care of themselves. This means that you can implement a new habit by attaching it to an existing habit. The existing habit will then serve as both an anchor to the new habit and a trigger for the new habit. But while the term habit stacking is, is, is a new term, 2017, the idea is as old as the Bible. The very same time that God handed down the law to Moses, God told Moses how to habit stack. Did you know that? Here's what he said. This comes from the Torah, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've heard it before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So this prayer, some of you might recognize, is known as the Shema. The Shema means the call. It is the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayers for the Jewish people. And it's considered the most essential prayer in all of Judaism. It's an affirmation of God's singularity and kingship. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a daily recitation of a biblical commandment. It tells God's people to keep God's word on their heart. But of course the question is always how do we do that? How do we keep God's word on our heart? How do we put God's word into practice? And the answer is habit stacking. Watch this. Moses continues. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you see the habit stacking in there? God didn't just give his people a command. He coupled the command to keep God's word on their hearts and to teach God's word to their children. He coupled that with daily rituals, with things they were already doing. Sitting around the house, walking from place to place, waking up, going to sleep. That's the things that people are going to do anyway. So if you're trying to cultivate a spiritual habit, isn't it wise to start first thing in the morning or to do it last thing at night? Why? 
Well, you already have morning and evening rituals. Everybody has them. Very few of us are just in the middle of, you know, doing the dishes and we fall asleep and that's where we are till the morning. No, you, okay, and you go up and you go to bed and you brush your teeth or whatever it is that you do. If you're a young kid, you just wet your toothbrush and say you brush your teeth. You know how that works. <laughs> we already have these rituals, so we just need to make those rituals function as our reminders. Some of us are already habit stacking the things of God. We don't even know it. If you pray before your meals, that's habit stacking. You're going to eat anyway, throw in the prayer. If you pray or read your Bible to the kids before their bedtime, that's habit stacking. The trick is putting this into practice for all the things that you need and want to do to bring you closer to God. And over time, you will become the sum total of all your habits. By the way, if you're going to become the sum total of all your habits, you better have good habits. What do they say? Your life is perfectly designed to reach the result that you're already getting. Yeah. If you want to change your life, you've got to change your life. So how do you get started on spiritual habit stacking? Well, it sounds a little scary, but let me ask you a simple question. If you pick a spiritual habit, whatever it is, Bible reading, listening to Christian music, talking to God, whatever it is, do you think you could do it for a day? It has to be something you can do just for a day. You don't try to change your whole life or implement a bunch of things, a dozen new spiritual habits at the same time. It won't work. You'll fail. You'll probably fail the first day because it'll just be too hard. Focus on one spiritual habit at a time. If you already walk or run or ride a bike or work out or drive to work in the morning, you could listen to your Bible when you do it. Habit stacking. If you take a lunch break, if you're by yourself or even with a group, or if you're just sitting and relaxing once the kids have gone to sleep, can I get an amen? Yeah, so that's what we do. We go, oh, you could read a Christian book on a Christian topic that interests you. Start doing these little things and building them up, and over time, watch what God does in your life. I have a friend who spends so much, he's retired, he spends so much of his downtime reading a Bible devotional that when he talks to people, he can't help but quote his Bible devotional. I mean, it's part of his life. It's become his habit. Like it or not, we are all the sum total of our habits. And bad habits always come back to bite us. But good habits always come back to bless us. You get out of it what you put into it. Jesus said, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. As you sow, so shall you reap. What goes around comes around. Right? It's all the same. It's called the law of measures, and you can't break the law of measures. It'll either break you or it'll make you. So ultimately, how you do anything is how you'll do everything. You know, when people are, when people are interviewing others for a job, they see what they've done in their lives to complete a task. Oh, wow, you're an Eagle Scout, or you're a black belt in karate, or you finished college, or whatever it is. And if, once you've understood that notwithstanding your innate sinfulness, your being born into sin, if, you, if understanding that, you understand that Jesus loves you anyway, and out of his love for you, he's made a way for you to be connected to God forever by paying for your sins on the cross and then coming back from the dead, if you'll turn from your natural self and turn to Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior and leader of your life, if you'll do that, if you've done that, and you get then into the habit of turning your life over to Jesus, he's going to show up in your life and he's going to show off in and through you in a mighty way. And it all starts when you learn to eat the frog. 
There's, there's a theology to habit formation. Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And making the changes you need to make is as easy as identifying your bad habits, switching them out for godly habits, and then stacking your godly habits on top of each other to achieve a healthy, productive walk with God. And it all starts when you make the commitment to begin. It all starts when you decide to eat the frog. All right, so what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose. What do you have to gain? Everything. An eternity connected to God and an abundant life here on earth. Why would you wait? Why would you wait one minute? Eat the frog every day and watch God work through you in ways that far exceed anything you've ever dared dream before. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and thank you for another opportunity to read the ancient wisdom of your word and understand how magnificent it is that it applies today just as it applied when it was written. God, um, we know that you love us and we know that we're not worthy and we just ask that you help us to focus this week to, to do that difficult task and then to tie some godly tasks to the things we do easily because God, when we get into that habit, when we learn to eat the frogs of our day, we know God that you will bless us immeasurably. We praise you, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.